Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who's counting the days to Premier League kickoff. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Is it three? If so, then I'm counting correctly. And if not, then I'm not. I'm imagining you crossing off days on a calendar. (laughs) More like frantically trying to prepare for it, despite... It feeling like I should be prepared because the season ended, I think, like eight hours ago or so. But still, yes, <laughs> trying to get my head around the fact that we have a new season coming very, very soon. So on today's show, we are going to be previewing. I'm gonna. This is like a pop quiz, Taylor, to see mm-hmm. if I've got this right. Fulham, yep. Leeds, mm-hmm. Leicester, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, and Newcastle. You are correct. Oof. The, don't worry about the question mark in my voice, listeners. Taylor is previewing Newcastle. <laughs> so it won't be me winging it. Here's what Steve Bruce is doing. I mean, no. I wish I wish it were. <laughs> Newcastle, still the employers of DeAndre Edlin, which honestly I didn't see coming and I'm kind of excited to think about. He is not even in my preview, so there you go. <laughs> oh, well, I'll make sure that we talk about him. I'll make sure that we talk about Mr. DeAndre Edlin. Before we get started mm-hmm. with the full ham, uh, we've got some updates because we already did the first seven teams alphabetically. Yeah. And there's one major correction for a massive mistake that I made. And then there's also just some transfer news and other updates that have happened since. All right. Uh, well, we can start since you're going to correct yourself. I think I can correct myself uh, and say the manager I was thinking of, I texted you this after the fact when we were discussing Graham Potter, was Gary Monk. Gary Monk was the uh, the youngster who had all these bright, promising ideas and then flamed out fairly spectacularly. Uh, that has not happened with Graham Potter. So that was my mistake there. Daryl, go ahead and apologize for your mistake. But yeah, I did not make that mistake. I was firm on knowing that Graham Potter was a wanted man, never, never a fire There we go. Yeah, and everybody watch Brighton next season. Um, the mistake I made, I think I kind of, I, I bought the Arsenal... Uh, line that Obama Yang is about to sign a new contract. <laughs> and I really thought Obama Yang had signed a new contract. He has not yet. He still hasn't put pen to paper. I'm still really confident it will happen, um, especially just because, again, I'm very up on Arsenal, right? I think mm. they look really good. I like what Arteta's doing. I think if you can be at a team that is going to build its whole game plan about getting you in on goal, I think you should sign a contract with that team. <laughs> so um, I'm pretty confident Obama Yang will sign. But I think I um, I accidentally misinformed some Arsenal fans who were like, oh, it's happened. And then they went Googling and found out that I was lying to them. Ah. So my apologies, my apologies to any Gunners that, that I misled. But he's going to put pen to paper sooner rather than later. Strangely, we didn't hear a lot of corrections from Brighton fans. Who would have thought? <laughs> who okay what what else has actually happened taylor's that's things we got wrong sure there's also just been some transfer updates and other mm-hmm. updates right i think two updates from players or teams that we've already discussed villa did officially sign brentford striker ollie watkins good uh, signing 28 million pound signing i think rises to 33 with add-ons it also gives a, a i forget which lower level club it was but suddenly their like entire budget is paid for the next five years because of that <laughs> sell-on fee uh and abdullah decore has officially joined everton at that midfield looking even better now officially the leggiest midfield Mm -hmm. in the premier league is going to be Everton. i'm not talking about length i'm talking about just distance covered and legs all over the field alan and decore Mm. are going to cover some ground hammers can just stand still if he wants and he won't even because he's because he's a good lad who likes to run around and make himself available i did appreciate he can i did appreciate that uh after carlo ancelotti brought in two former players then went with decore the rumors seem to be back to the consistent narrative of now linked with herving lozano bringing him over from napoli so again four Former players are going back to Carlo Ancelotti. I mean, yeah, because a lot of former players are upgrades on what's been going on at Everton, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Um, there you go. uh, Other updates I've got for you. 
Christian Pulisic yes, has been given the number 10 jersey at Chelsea. So yeah. Eden Hazard had it for a while. Obviously, he left for Real Madrid. Willian wore it last season. Obviously, he's gone to Arsenal. Christian Pulisic has got it now. And I don't normally get overexcited about things like this, but I think that means something. Me too. This is the strange thing, right? Because I, I normally am not, oh, like, oh, he moved from 14 to 11. Oh, he moved from 12 to 8. Like, it, it doesn't really get me going. But yeah, Pulisic being the number 10, I think I'm just choosing to read into that and believing that they wouldn't uh, give somebody the number 10 and then have them on the bench the entire season. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we know, right? We're not nervous about Pulisic anymore because he keeps doing the business whenever he's played for Chelsea uh, recently. One update is that I was convinced he was going to miss the start of the season because he's coming back from injury and the track record of Frank Lampard last season was to not rush players back and especially not rush Pulisic back, right? Which in hindsight, I really appreciated. Um, apparently he's back in training uh, today or is available for training again today and is maybe in contention to to play this weekend. I still think Lampard's gonna gonna be a bit cautious. You think? Yeah, I don't. Get, I don't. Anyone to get too excited when they see the news that Pulisic is in contention to start. Um, but one bit of news I had suggested that I could kind of logically deduce Sherlock Holmes style the Chelsea mm-hmm. starting front four. I had Hakim Ziyech on the right. Hakim Ziyech has got himself injured. Uh oh. Hakim Ziyech is not going to be starting the season for Chelsea. So, so Daryl has turns jinxed out, Chelsea. Chelsea fans, it's Daryl's fault. Yeah, it turns out I'm more Watson than Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I think, everyone's greatest fear, I have to say. <laughs> it, it happens to everybody, right? I'm the sidekick? Oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> We can finally tell George which one of us is the sidekick now. So. <laughs> oh, he did. Did he ask us that? He did. Yeah. And we refused to answer. Co-presidents. No president, <laughs> vice president in this situation. Um, that's all the updates I've got, Tyler. Have you got anything else for us? No, that's about it. I mean, there's uh, millions and millions of rumors. I enjoyed uh, Kenny Tete has been linked with uh, one of the clubs we're going to be discussing today. Uh, and searching him, he has not moved, but there are nine different welcome to blank uh, videos for fans <laughs> of those nine clubs. So right there, I think there's lots of still like rumors being discussed, moves that could very well happen when they do. If they do, we will discuss them. But for now, I feel like we've confidently, confidently so- rounded up things. The real winner with the Kenetete rumor is the lawyer that handles copyright claims. <laughs> yes, that and uh, Leon fans, it sounds like. I was reading about him. The top comment on Reddit in response to him being linked with Fulham, who we're about to discuss, was Ice Cube wrote the song It Was a Good Day about Kenetete leaving Olympic Leon. <laughs> felt like a burn. Felt like a burn. All right, let's get to our first sure. team today, Taylor. Fulham, mm-hmm. back in the Premier League. Taylor's previewing them. Um, Let's go, Taylor. All right. Uh, Fulham are confusing. I'm going to start there. Uh, I think I could genuinely give you two completely opposite previews, and both of them could very well be correct. Uh, Last time we saw Fulham, obviously, they were shambles. Scott Scott Parker brought in to, I feel like, sort of like put out the fire on the stove while the entire house was burning is sort of the job he was given. They end up getting relegated. He was elbowing past the many previous (laughs) recent managers on his way out. Yeah, third manager of the season. Third permanent manager, I should say. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I'm going to... Have you had Fancy seeing you here yeah right exactly 
You're out in a hurry. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start with Oliver Walker from uh, StatsBomb. He has a great summary of Fulham that I want to kind of launch with. Uh, here it is. Quote, Fulham could be coming into the season as a perceivably and demonstrably worse side than the one that was promoted last time out, but at the same time, one that's better prepared and suited for the challenge that's ahead of them thanks to a risk-averse manager and a more settled squad. Expectations amongst the fan base are also lower due to the manner of promotion and tighter transfer spending. That is okay, a very so good he, summary of things. Yeah, so is he saying that essentially it's, the squad isn't as good as the one that got promoted? Yep. But the football they played when they got promoted was just hilariously open. Yes. As if, as if no one would dare to attack the space that we leave when we send all our fullbacks forward. Yes. And by so all it's going to be a more sensible Fulham. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of where they are and where I think a lot of the previews aren't quite sure what to make of them because they are much more practical. They are far less open, but almost to their own detriment. They finished uh, fourth in the championship under Scott Parker, uh, playing more conservative, not scoring as many goals, but obviously not conceding as many goals. They get a 2-1 to victory over Brentford in the playoff final with two goals courtesy of their left back, which is a good kind of explainer of how they've gone about making this season happen and making promotion Joe Bryan, happen. right? Yeah, there you go. Uh, we're going to talk about him because he has competition, Daryl, and I'm excited mm-hmm for it. But we should then look at some of those players who they did bring in for a hundred million in that hundred million summer. Uh, players like Andre Zambo Anguisa, Jean-Michael Seri, both of them out on loan last season. Uh, uh, Anguisa for Villarreal, Jean-Michael Seri with Galatasaray. Both of them had strong seasons and now they're back, but the positions where they would be playing are currently occupied by Tom Kearney, who's Fulham's captain, and Harrison Reed, whose move has now made permanent. So you will oh, then Carl have Anker. this... Carl Anker was very excited about Harrison Reed coming back and playing for Southampton, yes, right? So this yes. is kind of a coup for Fulham to get Harrison Reed, who I want to say is a defensive midfielder based on Carl's description. You are correct. And yeah. I, I, Carl was not alone. I, I listened to another podcast with a Southampton fan where they were sort of, because Carl is not a Southampton fan, but uh, they were saying, yeah, that Harrison Reed was one they thought was going to come back in and kind of make Southampton a better squad. Instead, he's gone to Fulham. So too has Mario Lamina of Southampton. Uh, he's there on a season-long loan. Oh, I love his roulettes. I love Lamina's roulette. Me too. But let me ask you this, sir. When you think of Lamina, do you think of him as more attacking or do you think of him as more of a number eight or a number six i think of him as just doing a bunch of skills but not not producing anything (laughs) well there you go (laughs) there might not be a number so this is the this is one of my kind of big question marks and why i find fulham to be a conundrum because they have depth they have players that performed very well in the championship last season that know what scott parker wants and scott parker knows what he wants of them but then they've got these players coming back from loans and then they've brought in players who all sort of seem like they're going to be playing the same position so unless fulham can play six central midfielders there's going to be some congestion, and you're going to have players sort of have to move around. Josh Onoma uh, played as their number 10 a lot last season. English Modric. The, uh, yeah, of the TSS Scouting Network as well. Uh, but I wouldn't say he had the most like statistically productive season. So where the chances are going to come from, I'm not sure. Where the goals will come from... I can tell you, it will be Alexander Mitrovic, still leading goal scorer in the championship last season. But who provides those uh, opportunities for him, I'm less confident of. And that's where my prediction comes in. My specific prediction for Fulham this season, no Fulham player will have more assists than Ryan Sessegnon did in the 2018-2019 season. He had six, I believe. Um, and I think that was 
by far and away their their biggest contributor when they were in the Premier League last last season. They had Joe Bryan, the aforementioned left back, with seven. Ivan Cavaliero with seven. Most of the players were on four. And again, that speaks to the sort of lack of consistent chance creation that Fulham sort of had to deal with uh, in the championship. I doubt that's going to be very different in the Premier League. So I think Mitrovic will still be their main goal scorer. He will still be their main threat. But the players getting him the ball, I think, will be intermittent and varied as opposed to one kind of consistent connection. Can we talk about Mitrovic for a second? Sure. Um, I kind of don't enjoy watching him because mm-hmm. it's not it's not aesthetically pleasing. No, it's not. <laughs> but but he's very effective, right? Yeah. He's like he'll battle the centre back mm-hmm. all day long. I feel like if you mark Mitrovic, you're going to come out of that game with all kinds of bruises. And then there's not many players I have more faith in thumping ahead of home if yeah. the cross is accurate. Yeah. I mean, and he's yeah, a thump. It's very rarely a glance. I feel like he really threatens to take the back out of the net every time he heads a goal in. Yeah, and and and, and I think you've categorized him uh, effectively and correctly, uh, which explains then why he does not start the playoff final because Scott Parker wants a little bit more pressing. He wants a little bit more more mobility in that front line. So Mitrovic sits the final and it goes to extra time because there are no goals. So I think. What you've described is correct, and I think that's what people should expect, is kind of balls lumped into him, ideally in stronger attacking positions, ideally relatively close to goal, so that a header or a volley will be on frame, will be on target, and could end up in the back of the net. Uh, But I don't see him necessarily getting a bunch of support around him and sort of like combining really, really effectively through the middle to create chances. When are we going to talk about Anthony Robinson? Let's talk about him right now, because I am very excited. As I mentioned, Joe Bryan scores, I believe, both goals in the playoff yep. final. There's I'm the sure lovely free kick, the deceptive free kick. Um, and as I said, is also their leading or uh, joint leading assist getter last year, which speaks to the attacking nature of that left back spot, which is why I think they've brought in Anthony Robinson, who can very much do that same job, can be the attacking fullback. And I think with the number of games Fulham are going to be having this season from a Premier League standpoint, but then also from the Cups, uh, we should remind everybody, I believe they're starting, what, like five weeks or like five fewer weeks to play this season with more international games being played and less of a break in the winter. So we're going to have a lot of games, a lot of congestion, probably a lot of injuries. And I do think that even if Anthony Robinson doesn't start the season, I'm going to guess he gets a consistent number of minutes and a decent number at that. So you're saying even if he's the backup left back, we'll still see plenty of him. As US men's national team fans, are you happier with like, I don't know, 11 appearances in the Premier League versus 46 appearances for Wigan? I think honestly, it depends on what Fulham do. If Fulham are rock bottom in the table and he still has 11 appearances, but they're not really doing much. And when he comes on, it's already when it's like 3-0 down or they're in a bad run of form. Yeah. I, maybe playing consistently in the championship is better. I do think that the caliber of player and the ca- caliber of player he'll be dealing with is going to be stronger, obviously. So I think from that standpoint, it probably helps him. And then yeah. he will have to be more defensive. Fulham cannot be as open as you said, or they can't be if they want to try to stay up. So I think that means he has to improve his defensive, the defensive side of his game, especially the 1v1 defense, especially the men marking and the tracking of players and staying alive to those threats. So yeah. I think it probably makes him better uh, overall. At least that's my hope. I also think we'll just we'll find out, right? Because we've yeah. enjoyed watching him run at people in the championship, but yeah, the Premier League literally is a step up, a mm-hmm. level up. Uh, so we'll really see what Anthony Robinson is all about, and I think we'll have a better feel for whether we should be confident about Anthony Robinson playing for the U.S. Men's National Team mm-hmm. or not. Maybe halfway through the 
through the Premier League season. Mm-hmm. And we've mentioned. I do, that, oh, I do like his. Uh, I do like the idea of him whipping in crosses from Mitrovic's head, though. That, that could definitely be a thing. It's probably going to be a thing that occurs pretty regularly. And we should note, even if Anthony Robinson is not playing, we do have Tim Ream. So we still have Full America. Yeah. Full America. Uh, and he will be probably one of the starters, or at least in a decent rotation for getting those minutes and getting those starts. So two Americans with Fulham, they continue their, their reputation. I have one last point, unless there's anything else you wanted to discuss with Fulham. No, go for it. Yeah. I have a feeling this isn't really a it's not a specific prediction. It's more of just a generalized prediction that teams that are more stable and know their kind of plan going into the season are going to start much stronger than those who have a bunch of players betting in and they're still trying to figure things out. My prediction is that Fulham will start the season in a much stronger position and will be sort of thinking like, oh, they're 11th. Oh, they're 12th. Like this is much better than we expected. And I think they're closer to the relegation zone by the end because as you have injuries, as the fixtures pile up, you're going to have to figure things out and put people in different positions. And some of those players who didn't fit when they had that record spend are now going to be called upon. On. Will they be able to perform? Probably, maybe, who knows? And that's where I think you see that form dip a little bit, probably around the holiday season into the new year. All right, that sounds very plausible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on to Leeds United, today's show is sponsored by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Uh, HelloFresh cuts out the stress meal planning and grocery store trips, which I have to say is an increasingly useful thing as we get busier, as the season gets closer. Uh, I've been doing a lot of research and reading to prepare for these shows. I don't necessarily have time to go to the grocery store, but when the groceries just get delivered to your door and all you have to do is walk downstairs, open the door, bring them inside, close the door, it's a much simpler process. (laughs) They deliver fresh, high-quality, pre-portioned ingredients. That's the important part. You've always got the right number and the right amount of ingredients. So you can make meals that are delicious and nutritious. Mm. And it rhymes, so it must be good. I mean, that, that's how it works, I think. We, we've learned that. Uh, we've also learned that if you're going to make like gourmet-style recipes, it can require a lot of reading, especially if you're going to online recipes. You've got to uh, scroll, and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. Well, you have to learn about the p- person's biography and background and how they first learned what saffron was and their first experience of oh, understanding yes. what figs are before you can get to the two-minute like- recipe. It's like eight paragraphs before the actual recipe directions happen. Yeah, as Chelsea Peretti once said, uh, get to the recipe, my scroll finger hurts. Uh, (laughs) Yes, but you won't have that because you just get the recipe cards. So, for example, if you're going to make balsamic fig sirloin, uh, it's going to be cheaper, 60% cheaper than an average meal. But it also means that you've just got the recipe card right in front of you. You can check it off. You can see what it's supposed to look like. You don't have to keep scrolling and reopening your phone and figuring out where you were in the (laughs) recipe. And if you don't want to hear about how your great-grandmother first introduced saffron to the family <laughs> in 1907, uh-huh. um, and you do want to save $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, you can go to HelloFresh.com slash 80TSS, 80TSS, and then use the code 80TSS to get a total of $80 off your first month, including free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. One more time, you go to HelloFresh.com slash 80TSS and use code 80TSS to get a total of $80 off your first month, including free shipping. Thank you very much to HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode and saving my scroll finger. Daryl, we've talked Fulham. Where should we talk next? Who should we talk next? What should we talk next? Let's talk Leeds United. Leeds United, the team that won the championship last year, the EFL Championship. Mm -hmm. They're finally back in the Premier League, where they belong for a club of their size, Mm -hmm. for the first time since 2004. The thing everybody wants to talk about correctly 
is Marcelo Bielsa. Yeah. Right? So they are coached by the Argentinian coach, Marcelo Bielsa, who is famous for his style of play. So then the big question is, what does a Bielsa team look like? How does a Bielsa team play? And if you, I understand like people may have seen little clips or they may have heard the name Bielsa ringing out as leads were coming up, but not everybody's on ESPN Plus watching the championship, right? So I'm thinking our listeners may not be familiar with Bielsa's style of play and specifically the way that he's got it going at Leeds United. All right, so I want to start yeah, with a little description. I would describe it as like a Pep Guardiola Barcelona slash Man City team but everyone's had five espressos too many right before kickoff. <laughs> this is passing football at a very, very fast, very intense pace. They are not looking to move the ball sideways. They are looking to move the ball forward all the time, either breaking through the lines or big balls out to the wing, and the ball just keeps moving and moving and moving. Nobody dwells on the ball. Nobody like stands there with the ball looking around. No one's allowed to dribble in circles. It just keeps moving, keeps moving, keeps moving. And what happens, even in the championship, is when it works, it is beautiful. It looks like how football is meant to be, because it's quick passing, beautiful passing, breaking lines, and you're in on goal, right? Amazing. But when it doesn't work... They literally look like a team that's playing too fast and has given the ball away too easily. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be really high risk in the Premier League. Yeah, especially in those early games where they're maybe getting used to it. You have the nerves. At least you won't have maybe the stadium atmosphere to further that a little bit. But yeah, still, I imagine we're going to see a lot of like balls driven at 90 miles miles an hour into the foot of a defender who then plays it out of bounds. Yeah. And that's sort of part and parcel of the system. a lot of it is all based on, um, you know, uh, pre-organized uh, like running patterns and things like that and players knowing where they're supposed to be. And so sometimes passes happen and if the receiving player is just off by a couple of yards, that ball gets picked off and, and Leeds are defending a counter-attack. Luckily, Leeds are pretty good at defending because they are all massively, um, they, they place a big premium on essentially fitness and running, right? I'll, I didn't have the numbers to make it a prediction, but I'm pretty sure Leeds will run more than anyone else in the Premier League next season. They will absolutely charge back. Um, the guy I want to focus on first is Mr. Calvin Phillips. Have you heard the name? Uh, yes, K-A-L-V-I-N. Yes, yeah. Calvin Phillips. He's got the top knot. He made his England debut, um, surprisingly, despite having never played in the Premier League uh, this, yeah, I think uh, this that's, week. That's why I knew him. It's because he made his England yes. debut before the Premier League debut. So they call him the Yorkshire Perlo. <laughs> Yorkshire being the county so where Leeds is. Yeah, the Yorkshire Perlo. And honestly, it's accurate because he is the regista, right? He is the sort of the deep-lying midfielder who it's actually they, they set up in a four-one-four-one, and he's the the original one. But once they progress, it turns into a very Bielsa-y three-three-three-three-three-one, three-three-three-one, mm-hmm. and that involves Calvin Phillips dropping between the centre backs and uh, the full backs pushing forward, and they've got a whole new attacking shape. But it means that everything goes through Calvin Phillips, so he is the guy that will be breaking the lines he, with with clever passes. He'll be the guy that's passing it out wide. But he's also the guy, this is why he's the Yorkshire Perlo and not the Italian Perlo. He's the guy who will smash you on the, if you're going to try and counterattack. I had a feeling that's where we were going with that. Yes. So he really is a destroyer. Like he will go through the back of you. He will unashamedly knock you down just to make sure the counterattack doesn't happen. He's a destructive midfielder as well as being the regista, which make, I think that's part of the reason why someone like Southgate looked at him and said, all right, you're doing, you're doing everything in the championship, basically. You're not just a fancy passer and we'll see if that works. You can do both things. Here's my prediction. 
because of the fact that Leeds will get counterattacked on a lot next year, because those passing moves will break down, but they'll also bust their asses to get back and stop the counterattack happening in some way. Calvin Phillips will get 10 yellow cards this mm. coming season in the Premier League. All right. And, then, and that's including double yellows in the same game? Are we going to get one of those, you think? We very well might. All right. We very well might. That'll be the test, right, of whether he knows where, where to draw the line or not. Yeah. 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 Like, if he, if he, yeah. If he recklessly does the first one in five minutes and then plays calm and uh, contained football for the rest of the game, we know, we yeah. know he knows. I get, he should watch some tape of Fernandinho. Because Fernandinho was the master of barely getting a yellow card and then never pushing it too far. Fernandinho, who, me? Uh, yeah, that's, that's his nickname, <laughs> I think. Yeah. What? Me? No, I didn't mean <laughs> no, to. No, it was Fernando. You got the wrong guy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just, they put some blue tape on his back and <laughs> changed the number a little bit. He's good to go. Yeah. So to give you some context for this, last season in the championship, Calvin Phillips got nine yellow cards plus one red card. But that's 46 games, right? I'm predicting 10 yellow cards, so one more in the 38 games of the Premier League. So eight fewer games, one extra yellow card, which I think is about right with the amount of uh, counterattacks that are going to happen on Leeds United. Uh, can I ask you a non-Kevin Kevin Phillips question? Yes. So with that style of football, because I like that prediction a lot, and I think it makes sense with what they're going to be doing and what is going to be asked of him. Do we think Bielsa is ready to go for the season? Because he also has the kind of reputation for things flaming out on occasion. Do you expect that? Or do you expect him to kind of keep his composure, keep this team together and keep them playing good soccer? So this is another prediction I'm going to make. This is a bold prediction. Marcelo Bielsa will still be the Leeds manager at the end of the season. Which is a bold prediction. (laughs) It is. It is. Because he does have that reputation, right? At Lille and at Marseille Mm -hmm. for just for not sticking around too long. I, don't, I haven't looked into the full history of exactly what happened there, but I feel like there was definitely a thing of maybe not everybody buying into what Marcelo Bielsa wanted to do. I would argue that in this case, he's already been there for two years. They've already seen success in terms of getting promoted. And it happened kind of slowly, right? They didn't get, they, I think they made the playoff final the first year he was there yep. and they won the championship the second year he was there. I think enough groundwork has been laid and everybody who's at the club is you know, fully bought in to what Marcelo Bielsa is doing, both players and you know, boardroom and everybody else in between. That he'd be, I know they call him El Loco, but he'd be crazy to leave this situation, right? And if things go wrong, it won't be because nobody trusts in what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. Because we're not going to get the scenario of maybe the style isn't quite working and the ownership says, like, never mind, this is not what we want at all. It feels like much more they've backed him, they've bought into him. And so you won't have that little bit of external pressure that might be all it takes in certain cases to push the manager over the top and have things kind of flame spectacularly. Instead, it feels like he'll get backing as opposed to criticism. This isn't a prediction so much as a worry. I really do worry that that fast-paced attacking football with good players in the championship still broke down sometimes, right? And mm-hmm. it's not like they scored a million goals. They didn't like set any goal-scoring records in the championship, I don't believe. Please correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. I, I'm not sure the quality of player they have is good enough for it to translate to a load of goals in the Premier League. And as an example, like when Wolves got promoted, they happily let Helder Costa go to Leeds United. And Leeds United now have Helder Costa as one of their starting attacking wingers. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, I think there's a lot of, uh, like uh, Jack Harrison, the former uh, NYCFC player, um, who's technically a Man City player, but on loan at Leeds United. Who Pep Guardiola does not know. Yeah, exactly, right? So he's, um, maybe he'll come good, right? But he's definitely someone who has not got pedigree in the Premier League, let's say. So I'm a little worried that uh, Bielsa might be trying a thing that's 
not too complicated, but just too high risk to pull off in the Premier League without a significant upgrade in players. But I really hope it works because I really hope to see him try. And the the one thing that gives me hope is Sheffield United. Sheffield United had a very specific style of play that was successful in the championship and they just sort of doubled down on it in the Premier League and it absolutely worked. So yeah. there, there's a chance, right? Much like uh, Lloyd Christmas's chances, I'm telling you there's a chance. <laughs> well, it also sounds like contrasting them with Fulham for a moment or the Fulham team that came up and spent the money and then went right back down, it seemed a little bit that there was some arrogance to that team. Of We know how we played in the championship and it worked, so we're going to spend a bunch of money to get better players to do the same thing to you know make the Europe <laughs> like our first season into the Premier League and like you have to have a little bit of practicality and a little bit of awareness and it seems like Bielsa will have that so even if their style doesn't work right away I I kind of anticipate a few little adjustments not a full system-wide change or anything like that suddenly they're going to be a bunker team well yeah I mean even with my Calvin Phillips prediction they'll they'll defend like monsters yeah you know what I'm saying they they'll really really go for it it's more the attacking side of the game that I'm concerned won't pay off as much. So they definitely won't be wide open like yeah. Fulham were because even if they get counter-attacked, they'll, be, they'll have ways to stop it, right? We have ways of making you stop, um, <laughs> is what they say. Um, speaking of upgrades, Rodrigo is their big signing um, this summer, fall? This fall, this autumn. Rodrigo is their big signing. It's Do you know about summer, Rodrigo? I don't know what it is anymore. Good call. It's confusing. Uh, <laughs> I don't because there's a, a million Rodrigos. So I might, but I might not. So Rodrigo has joined from Valencia, where all the good players are up for sale because Peter Lim just wants to rake in the money. Ah, yes. They managed to get Rodrigo, who is Spain's starting striker, at least in a couple of recent Nations League games, for 27 million plus extras. And I think, from what I understand, they were going to get either Ollie Watkins or Rodrigo and just kind of decided that this guy who'd already succeeded in La Liga, um, succeeded with the Spanish national team, uh, has even spent a year in England, like way, way, way back when he was much younger, and spent a year with Baltimore Wanderers. So he's he's been to the north of England already. Rodrigo is an absolute menace. I watched a lot of footage of him. He, the, I think a good way to say it is he runs like Jamie Vardy. Do you know what I'm saying? That the way that yeah. you see Jamie Vardy yeah, just at full tilt running in behind defenses, he runs like Jamie Vardy, kind of finishes like Jamie Vardy, but seems to have a bit more craft and technique about his game. Like you'll see some unexpected outside of the foot passes and some clever through balls and like the little extra things that maybe you don't think of Jamie Vardy having. So I think of him as Jamie Vardy premium. How about that? Yeah, that makes sense. And I think he's. I forget how old Vardy is, but I think Rodrigo is a little bit older. Like, not not old, old in the he's sense of, like, he's not 20s. 40 or anything like that. What's yeah, that? Yeah, he's late 20s. Right. So, in some ways, I think that should also be a comfort to Leeds fans, that they're shelling that amount of money for a veteran player that's not a, like, we're developing and we're going to kind of like build the platform so that if we get relegated, so be it. But we've got the young team to then get us right back into the Premier League next year. This feels like a, we're here and we aim to stay here and we're bringing in players that we think will make that possible yeah absolutely it also means it, like i mentioned that maybe i was a little worried about the uh, the quality of the attack rodrigo is the one thing that makes me think okay bielsa realizes that patrick bamford who was their main striker last season yes probably isn't going to cut it if you're going to do well in the premier league i understand that they needed to upgrade and rodrigo seems like the correct signing and i you don't did, I, have a prediction for him but I, do, I just think he's worth talking about basically if 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 there was like a type of goal that he you like most think is synonymous with him, what would it be? Is it like headers? Is it fox in the box? Is it poaching? Rodrigo, is it screamers? Oh, it's, it's the Jamie Vardy style. Okay. Um, making a sort of curved run 
in behind the defence at pace and being on the end of a through ball and then kind of first time finish to surprise the goalkeeper. All right. So we can yeah. say like, if not a specific prediction, we expect some Jamie Vardy-esque finishes from Rodrigo. Yeah, some Jamie Vardy-esque finishing from Rodrigo. I want to I want to explain, I have no beef with Patrick Bamford. I think just at least the once, world maybe, does though. maybe twice in different season-specific prediction shows, we have made predictions about Patrick Bamford scoring goals for whichever Premier League club he was playing for and then he did the opposite of that. So that's where I'm like, oh no, yeah. I'm not going down that road again. We've done, we've done this before. We've been here before. It didn't work. I'm not, yeah, I'm not buying in this time. I guess Bielsa's looked in the history books. Yeah. I mean, you got it. one thing you say for Bielsa, the man does his research, yeah. right? They're, he absolutely mercilessly researches um, opposition to to a crazy degree. I remember there was, there's a story about when he was managing Athletic Club de Bilbao and they played Barcelona. And Barcelona won, but afterwards um, Bielsa showed Guardiola his notes. And Guardiola said, you know more about Barcelona than I do. <laughs> That's praise. That's praise. So you can bet that Bielsa is right now watching, like, you know, almost every game of every Premier League team last season, um, looking for opportunities for him to exploit or dangers that can be can be snuffed out. So definitely in Leeds' favour is Bielsa's level of prep. Does that include watching them when they don't know he's watching them from behind fences with cameras? It definitely does. Definitely (laughs) does. It's not a crime if you don't get caught. I have one final, one final (laughs) prediction. Sure. A Pablo Hernandez pass will get its own bullet point in the Total Soccer Show Weekend Review Google Doc. Okay. Well, I feel so, like you can kind of make that happen regardless of whether or not it's Well, not deserved. really. I'm not usually on the weekend review, That's right? True. It's That's usually true. you and Ryan. And also, I wouldn't make this prediction come true just for the sake of it. Um, if you don't know about Pablo Hernandez, he's a 35-year-old um, Spanish attacking midfielder. And he's essentially the creative number 10 hub type guy um, in this Bielsa team. He is the guy providing the assists and the goals as well. He is a master of the perfectly weighted pass, at least in the championship. I watched so many chipped over balls and through balls that just landed in exactly the spot you would want it to land on to be too far away from the defender and just enough in front of the attacker. I've got to I've got to assume that even if you won't have the same sort of uh, volume of perfect passes in the Premier League because space is tighter and everything's tighter, there'll still be one or two gems that you'll want to talk about on the weekend review. But again, the fact that so much revolves around a 35-year-old playmaker who hasn't played in the Premier League I think says a lot about my worries about the Leeds attack at the same time. All right. I look forward to going back and checking to see if we get any points for our predictions uh, next year by having to check all of my show prep notes to see if we ever get a bullet point there. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. I appreciate it. <laughs> that's everything I've got on Leeds United. All I right. think that's a pretty good preview. I'm excited to watch them. First game is against Liverpool. All right. Well, we're going to talk Liverpool in a moment. But first, we're going to talk Leicester City. Uh, I'm going to be talking about Leicester City specifically. A reminder that they finished fifth, and that was somehow a disappointment. Uh, (laughs) Their highest finish since they won the title, obviously. But when you only win four of your final 17 games... Maybe it's not quite as like uh, happy of a thing. And then when you lose on the final day, Johnny Evans gets the straight red. He's suspended for the start of the season. Also not the way you want to end, but it is sort of revealing uh, because Brendan Rodgers, I believe I'm correct in saying, made the third fewest substitutions of anyone in the Premier League, which I think shows you where those issues were with Leicester was squad depth. And if you lose a few key performers you suddenly really start to struggle to create and struggle to hold it together. And I'm not sure that that has changed, at least not yet, because we 
we have, say, the departure of Ben Chilwell to Chelsea for around £50 million. They have replaced him with Atalanta's Timothy Castagni. Uh, he's 24 for £21 million. So that feels like typical Leicester business of sell somebody on £30 million profit as you replace them. The problem would be that Castagni is not as attacking. And Leicester are sort of vulnerable there because you don't have Ben Chilwell anymore who's going to help with the attack. Ricardo Pereira is still recovering from his ACL injury, so you don't have Ooh. those two attacking fullbacks. You're going to have uh, uh, Justin uh, James Justin, excuse me, will probably be starting. I think Timothy, Timothy Castagne will come in and start right away as well. But you're not going to have the two of them bombing forward and creating chances. At least I don't think you will early. So I don't expect Leicester to sort of start the season as strong as they have in years past, I think they're going to have to figure some things out. I think they will still be very good. I don't know if they will be in that top four conversation again, but what I do think will happen, uh, and this is my specific prediction, is that both Jamie Vardy and the team as a whole will score fewer goals this season. Jamie Vardy had 23 last year. Uh, the team as a whole had 67. But I think that is going to drop off, maybe not considerably, but at least a little bit this season. Yeah, that feels right. If it does feel like Leicester really hit a high last mm-hmm. season, and yeah, starting um, without I always forget his name, the right back. What's the right back's name? Who's injured? Uh, Ricardo Pereira. Yeah, starting mm-hmm. without Ricardo Pereira feels like a big deal, and losing Ben Chilwell feels like a big deal. Yep. How's my man James Madison doing? Also not going to start the season. Still recovering uh, from an injury, I think, to his hip. Uh, But it's sort of wait and see. But we don't think he will be starting right away. As I said, Johnny Evans is going to be suspended to start the season for that red card. Uh, Jamie Vardy, still a key performer, is a year older. And Brandon Rodgers is, as a result, trying to use him in like a slightly modified way. Less of an explosive force, at least not as consistently that. More maybe a little bit involved in the buildup as opposed to just hitting on the break. Um... So I think once they can sort of figure out some of those wrinkles and iron things out a little bit more, I think the performance gets more consistent. But I think early on, uh, now that I've said this, they're going to win their first game 5-0. But (laughs) I think early on they might struggle just a little bit more. Uh, There are still rumors linking them with a number of players, including Bournemouth's David Brooks. Everybody is linked with a Bournemouth player these days. And I think the idea is that if you bring in somebody like David Brooks, he can play out wide, which is what he's done with Bournemouth, but he could also be that deputy to James Madison and give you a little bit of, of depth there give you some rotation possibilities and I think that's what they will try to do I think they're going to continue to strengthen as we get closer to the beginning of October Uh, but I don't think that they're in the position yet that they would probably like to be so there's money to spend probably right yeah from Leicester City so yeah we maybe can expect them to be Busier, yeah, like you said, towards the end of the transfer window. Yeah, and and I believe, uh, forgive me, I forget their owner's, uh, their late owner's name, uh, who died in a helicopter accident. His son has taken charge of the operations of Leicester, and by all accounts, is as dedicated, if not more. So yes, you're still going to get money coming in. There's still going to be investment. There's still a lot of care and concern about the club. It's not as though the kind of uh, benefactor is gone, and now they're not sure what's going to happen. I think there's still going to be consistent top eight team thereabouts and we do always tend to kind of overlook Leicester at least I do and then they end up kind of running in the top four for a very long chunk of the season I think a large part of that is because of Brendan Rodgers who I increasingly think is unappreciated is at least how I'll put it I'm not going to go so far as to say like he's an unappreciated genius or anything like that but I think we kind of remember things not quite working out at Liverpool and then things taking a turn. I'm not sure that's entirely his fault, but he's good with Swansea. He's very good with Celtic. Everybody can be good with Celtic. But then he comes in and has success with Leicester. And this is where, Daryl, I think I messaged you this yesterday. My random like idea, not prediction or anything like it, is if things went really bad at Borussia Dortmund, 
Doesn't Brendan Rodgers make sense there? Couldn't you see him finding success at Borussia Dortmund with the way he kind of can get young players playing, can bring in big talents, but doesn't require the biggest of talents to have success? Yeah, yeah. And his high energy style of play, I think, yep. suits the way Dortmund like to go. The only question is cultural, right? Like, I'm yeah. not sure Dortmund are going to hire a coach who I assume does not speak German. Yeah, I, I messaged Sam Ty this as well yesterday to see what he thought, because I expected him to just be like, oh, no, it wouldn't work for this reason. Or like, oh, no, they've said this or that style doesn't work. And instead he said, I'm not sure they'd be, under, uh, be, able, be able to understand his Northern Ireland accent. <laughs> that was his only comment. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that's that's the case. So you're saying that, are you predicting that Brendan Rodgers is going to get poached? No, I just think that like if if Leicester have, I get not predicting, but I think that if Leicester have another strong season, I have a feeling he might just be there for like 10 years and he just becomes the Leicester yeah. City manager. But I Honestly, also think it's easy to overlook him. Yeah, I, I think he's at the perfect place, right? Yeah. He's at a team that isn't like a big, 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 big name, mm-hmm. but is ambitious and he has a certain interesting style of football. It's for me it's um it's kind of like a Hamez at Everton uh, possibly perfect mm-hmm. fit. Yeah, okay. I could see that. Yeah, cuz you don't you don't necessarily have that feeling of like, "Oh, is he ready for this? Are we sure this is the right idea?" Yeah. Uh but simultaneously is going to get the backing and the support and will sort of be allowed to do what he wants in a way that maybe he couldn't. Okay, I'm with you on that yeah. one. So if he stays with Leicester, it's not an insult. It doesn't mean he's being overlooked. It just means that maybe he's being properly valued. Yeah, exactly. I think he's in exactly the right place. Um, have you got any other predictions? No, uh, just that one and then my praise for Brendan Rodgers. Again, with Leicester, it's just sort of hard to feel like I can confidently say exactly what's going to happen because their season was so up and down. And it's so strange that they finished fifth and yet it is kind of a downer. They will have Europa League to deal with, obviously, which means they're going to need even more depth and even more signings. So does that mean they change things up a little bit? I'm not quite sure. I think they're going to be intriguing to watch for a number of different reasons so i think that is probably why i'll be paying attention to them more at least at the start to see how they adjust to some of those injuries how they adjust to some of the departures and what they do to their playing style to bring everybody in and make it fit as opposed to trying to kind of shove not even square but like oval pegs into round holes i would say that where there's wilford and dd there is hope that is also very fair. Or at the very least, there is no way through for the opposition. Like I think if anyone watches Leicester, it's really worth keeping an eye on Wilfred Ndidi, their defensive midfielder. He is, he's like like Gandalf saying, you shall not pass. Yeah. Um, and then he's ready to take the ball forward as well. I'm a big, big fan of Wilfred Ndidi. I think, I think uh, third most fouls in the Premier League last year as well, Wilfred Ndidi. So, yeah. so if if uh, the ball passes, you certainly won't be. <laughs> and then Suyuncu, the centre-back, yeah. had... A really strong start and apparently a bit of a dip in form. So I'll be yep. interested to see if Seon Chu is the player we saw it's, at the start of the season or the player we saw towards the end of the season. one or two games where he has very high-profile mistakes. He gets the red and misses three games uh, near like the tail end, but then he also has, I think, that own goal. And there's just a couple moments, but before that... He was seen as like there were all those match of the day comments and the idea of like, well, you get rid of Harry Maguire for 70 million and you bring him in. Maybe they're the geniuses. Maybe this was yeah. maybe, maybe Man United should have bought Soyunju. Um, but I think there's some questions about him because of those late season performances and then about the defense in general because uh, Wesley Morgan still there, but I think is de- dealing with injury and is obviously a little bit older. Johnny Evans has sure the suspension. Soyunju has questions. So there is some speculation that, that they'll maybe try to bring in another center back just to give them a bit more depth. One other guy I've always got an eye on is Harvey Barnes, mm-hmm. who I think might be a little bit underrated. Yes. And 
If there's no Madison, I feel like maybe there's a chance Harvey Barnes steps up to be mm. one of the chief creators for Leicester City. So yeah. look out for some maybe some Harvey Barnes assists. Yeah, and the Harvey Barnes, uh, like James Madison, if David Brooks came, that's a, a decent uh, creative attacking lineup that allows Yuri Tielemans to play a little bit deeper and facilitate some of those attacks. So I think if there is a little bit more movement, if there are a couple more faces added, I do think I'm much more optimistic about Leicester than I am right now. Okay, you ready to move on? I believe I am. Before we talk Liverpool, let's talk about today's sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by The Athletic. Mm -hmm. So we are part of The Athletic podcast sure network are. but the athletic apparently they started out with um with writing no it wasn't all podcasts yeah. yeah so the athletic is now one of the leading sports websites maybe the leading sports websites it's home to 400 of the best sports writers out there covering every major team in every major league in the u.s canada and the uk that might be true but honestly i only read the soccer content and yep. even that is enough for me Yep. I will say that my friends who like soccer but also like other sports really appreciate The Athletic for that, for having the diversity and range of writing it does about the diversity and range of sports it covers. Uh, I tend to focus on just soccer. I'm very excited for Carl Enka, who I think you were the first to tell me, although I've heard him talk about it and I'm excited to see what he does, uh, is now going to be covering Manchester United. He's moved there yeah. from Southampton. Uh, so Carl having more insider access and insight is going to be good for us. We get to chat with him. I think he's also going to be doing additional podcasts about the club. Uh, so I'm excited for him, excited for all things The Athletic are doing. Oh, yes. And if you want to get involved and mm -hmm. read The Athletic, um, you can do so for 40% off an annual subscription. If you go to theathletic.com slash total soccer, theathletic.com slash total soccer, you'll save 40% on an annual subscription. There's also a nice little free trial you can take advantage of just before you do the 40% off deal as well. So once again, that's theathletic.com slash total soccer. I have not checked The Athletic today. I do know that Pablo, Pablo Mar, was teasing two stories that are going to be coming out uh, that he said are in line with his 2002 U.S. Men's National Team water fountain photo shoot uh, expose story. <laughs> expose is maybe the wrong term, but you know what I mean? In-depth yes. piece about a ridiculous moment. He said they're in that style. So if for no other reason than that, I would subscribe so you get to figure out what he's covering next and the absurdity <laughs> of it. And speaking of uh, Pablo, obviously he's one of the full-time American soccer writers at the Athletics uh, Soccer Vertical. So even if you ignore all the great coverage from the UK with all those high-profile writers that they've they've hired and those team beat writers, if you just look at what they what the Athletics done in the US, I'm pretty sure it's the most full-time soccer writers at any publication are at the Athletic right now. So you got Sam Stejkal and Paul Tenorio. Uh, breaking stories, Jeff Ruta, Pablo Mara. There's all sorts going on. Uh, Meg Linehan is obviously sort of the name in women's soccer right now. So, and, and for the future, I'm not, I'm not saying Meg's a flash in the pan. Um, so you've got all kinds of full-time uh, soccer coverage coming from The Athletic. Yeah, and I look forward to her covering Manchester City, winning every single title uh, from the women's side for the foreseeable future. I think they're yeah. signing every player is last Lucy I saw. Lucy Bronze is official now, right? Alex I did Greenwood see that, um, as well today. Wow, so all the England fullbacks. Mm -hmm. um, Manchester United women's team signed Tobin Heath officially now. Yeah, they did. Yeah. All right. There we go. That's something. <laughs> so once again, for 40% off, it's theathletic.com slash total soccer. I think I'm up next, Taylor. You are. And it's the champions. It's Liverpool Heels. Football Club. Kind of hard to preview in many, many ways. I am so gonna, excited for this, I have to I'm gonna say. Give, I'm going to give it a go. Um, Please. Here's, here's what I think. Liverpool's transfer window, so far, not very exciting but I'm not sure it actually needed to be. Okay. 
Okay, so they brought in Kostas Shimikas to back up Andy Robertson at left back. We've talked about him a little bit when we did our transfer show, right? I was very impressed with him for Olympiakos. Uh, really good defensively. He shut down Adama Traore when they played Wolves and he whipped in a load of crosses going forward. I don't think he's got a shot at replacing Andy Robertson, but it means that Liverpool are better balanced because now they won't have like James Milner filling in at left back. They'll have like a, a more Robertson style left back to replace him if he needs a rest or if he's injured, right? Mm-hmm. So that deal was done. The Thiago deal appears to be stalling and we don't know if that's going to happen or not. And there's also rumours of Giorgio Wijnaldum possibly yeah. going to Barcelona, which I can only think can be motivated by him wanting to team up with his national, former national team coach, Ronald Koeman, right? Or, or maybe there's, a, there's some like Barcelona draw for Dutch people, right? Yeah. Um, so I kind of think if they start the season with Wijnaldum or they start the season with Thiago, maybe Thiago's a slightly better player, but I think Wijnaldum was magnificent for Liverpool these last couple of years. Yep. So it's kind of a wash either way, right? So it's still a really solid midfield. It's weird to yeah. say that I agree, but I agree, yes. Yeah, right. I'm not I'm not even saying Wijnaldum's as good as Thiago, but yeah. I think you just know he fits into the Liverpool system absolutely yep. perfectly and is kind of essential. I think it's probably um, also one of those people that if you we talk, we need a name for this type of player. Maybe we should just call it the Genie Wijnaldum type player who like you maybe don't pay attention to as much because there's like higher profile goal scorers and people doing crazy things on the ball, but it's probably one that if you paid attention to for 90 minutes you'd see him do a lot of stuff that facilitates what Liverpool wants yes. to. Yes. Definitely. I'd also argue that the signing of Wijnaldum from Newcastle, I remember at the time everyone was a bit like, yep. huh, I guess it's pretty good. We'll see We'll see how that works out. So that's why I don't see Liverpool as a team that needs to keep going out and buying like big splashy name players. I think they really have a system where they know what works, they know what fits within what Klopp wants to do, and they'll identify players like Giorgio Wijnaldum and Kostas Shimikas, and that's who they go out and buy, even though that's not great for headlines. Mm-hmm. That, that seemed right. And so it, for that I reason, mean, that's why I'm, I'm not concerned about their failure to sign Timo Werner, for example, this summer. So that doesn't concern me really, like the lack of Timo Werner, lack of Thiago right now. I think where I am with Liverpool, uh, I can't tell if this is just pundits who like they need something to say. They need a way to explain away the fact that Liverpool won it so convincingly because they want there to be some drama to this season. But I am sort of starting to buy into the idea that you need when you're going to play that intensity or that intensive a system, you need fresh legs, you need to change it up, you need to make sure the competition is still there. And that is where my concern is for Liverpool, that they don't have the depth and competition that if they run into a few injuries, they can effectively deal with. See, here's my argument. My counter argument is that they do because it was more or less already there. And I think the best thing to look at here is Liverpool's front three. Right. So Sergio Mane, Roberto Firmino, Mohamed Salah. We know who it's going to be. Right. We know the first choice front three. I've seen in the media doubts about like maybe they need to freshen that up. Maybe that maybe that they needed Timo Werner to provide competition. I would say why mess with a thing that has worked yeah. basically perfectly for the last two seasons? All three of them are 28 years old. There's no one who's quite aging out yet. So why not ride that front three as far as it will go? You could easily get another year or two out of them as your starting front three, right? In addition, I would say I quite like that they're the obvious first choice front three and there are backups, right? There's Divock Origi, who is kind of a hero and just willing to be the backup, but always really useful when he comes on. And I would argue that the signing midway through last season of Takuma uh, Minamino might he hasn't worked out so far I think he might work out this season I yeah. think he might have had six months to bed in and Takumi Minamino probably in that Firmino type position I think is where he was like bought to uh to back up I think you'll start to see him make some more 
telling contributions. Yeah, I, um, to go with a different F for a moment there, I, I think of Fabinho, who's a player who they bring in, they spend a lot of money on, and there's all this consternation about why isn't he playing every game? Oh, he's a flop. He's not good enough. And it's more so that Liverpool have an incredibly demanding system that requires a lot of familiarity and understanding. And if you're new to it, it's going to take you a while to bet yeah. in. Once you get it, you can do it, as Fabinho showed. And I would say, yeah, I'm with you on uh, Minamino, that it's the same style of thing, that you got to give him some time to figure it out, to get used to everybody, to bet in, and then you'll see him perform effectively. And then on top of Origi and Minamino, you've got Jadon Shakiri is still there and capable of playing in a front three. And Rian Brewster is back. Do you remember Rian Brewster? He was oh, yeah. absolutely lights out the goal scorer when England won the U17 World Cup in 2017. Um, he spent last season on loan at Swansea City. He scored 10 goals in 20 games. He is the guy these days. There I, are a I, lot of people yeah. after Rian Brewster, right? So here's my prediction, Taylor. Oh, boy. Rian Brewster and Takumi Minamino will both get their first Premier League goals this season. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So I think it'll happen, and I agree, and I like it. Uh, so I'm essentially predicting that outside of the traditional Liverpool front three, these other guys will start contributing. Definitely Minamino is going to score for Liverpool this year. Rian Brewster will get a Premier League goal. It'll either be for Liverpool or it might be out on loan at Villa, Sheffield United, Newcastle or Crystal Palace, who have all been, <laughs> they've all been asking around. But apparently Liverpool really, really like Brewster. Yeah. So there's a chance that he stays and contributes, right? It might just be a balance of... How many minutes can we actually get him? And is it like, is it better that he contributes a couple hours to our squad or is it better for him that he goes and plays a load of games for Newcastle, right? So yeah, and I I think it'll be that, but I'm arguing for there is squad depth. Don't worry. Yeah. And I think you've convinced me, I should say, first of all, because like you can go two different ways with this. You could say like, yeah, we've got this team, but we want to bring in some big names to make sure everybody feels the competition. Everybody feels like their place isn't necessarily. Like, they can't take it for granted, right? But that can go the other way. Uh, I was listening to a podcast. They were talking about how I think one of the first things Kuman did was sort of tell Luis Suarez, like, yeah, you don't really fit in my plans. You're welcome to look for a move elsewhere. By all accounts, Luis Suarez is one of Messi's best friends. They communicate all the time. Evidently, there's a group chat with him and Suarez and Neymar and, like, uh, apparently Arturo <laughs> Vidal as well, who was also told he was surplus to requirements. And that is one of the things that apparently made Messi upset, is that his friends were just being told they weren't needed. And there is that disruption thing, that if you bring in Timo Werner, are you going to get that group chat of, of uh, you know, uh, Mane and Salah being like, what's this now? Why is this happening? Are you worried? I'm kind of worried about this. Like, I know they're professionals. I know they're, they're used to this type of thing. But I'm with you that the high-profile one might not be as effective as bringing in somebody who can slowly learn the system and then perform capably as an understudy, as a deputy. That Barca group chat or former Barca group chat better be called South American All-Stars. I hope it is. <laughs> in English, no less. Here's my next prediction. Please. For the third year in a row, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andrew Robertson will be the top assist-providing fullbacks in the Premier League. Yeah. That's, is that even a prediction? That's just a guarantee, right? It kind of is, right? So last year, TAA got 13. Uh, Robertson got 12. The year before... TA got 12, Robertson got 11. Other fullbacks didn't really come Step close. it up, Andy Robertson. <laughs> He's trying. He's trying, but every year TAA steps it up yeah. one more. So when you look at their assist level, it's around about like the Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva, the names yeah. that pop up around them, right? Fullbacks like, uh, there was Sessegnon had that one good year, right? Um, Aspilicueta, I think, got like six last year or so. They're sort of doubling what most, they're, they're putting out double the amount of assists that most fullbacks provide. So, in one way, you could argue I'm just predicting the same thing will happen again. But I think it's 
it's so telling about how Liverpool play soccer that it's worth pointing out that you can guarantee that their fullbacks are going to hit double digit assists because even though they're technically fullbacks, they spend so much time in the attack and so much of it is about them providing dangerous balls into the box. Yeah. It's almost inevitable that Liverpool's fullbacks will get will get mad assists, let's say. This is That's the what other, I'm going to call it. They'll get mad assists. Mad assists. This is the other element of doing previews that is sort of like difficult is... They're going to do that, and you're correct in saying they're going to do that, and it's a hallmark of their game, and yet everybody knows that. So it feels like, no, I've got to dig deeper. I've got to find the alternative yeah. narrative to this about like why they're able to do that or how they're not going to be as effective. In I, reality, yeah. yeah. I decided no. I decided yeah. this thing is so – it's so like an anomaly, but it's a consistent anomaly that yeah. Liverpool keep creating that it's worth pointing out. It's just yeah. part of how great Liverpool have been the past two years. Been um, indeed. All right, to close up though, I've been very positive about Liverpool – because I do feel positive about Liverpool. I think it's worth sending a word of warning there, right? It's not uh, like I'm predicting they're going to like stroll to their title and be 20 points clear again. Mm-hmm. I think coming into last season, there was a definite thing of, we just won the Champions League. We're a magnificent team. We were great last year, but we just missed out. So we're going to keep this momentum going and we're going to make it happen. You can't quite recreate that level of desire and momentum. No. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Even with the best will in the world, you can't quite recreate that situation. The other thing that slightly concerns me for Liverpool, this is a little bit cliche, but I also think it's true. I honestly think they have the best fans in the league in terms of having an impact on the game. Yeah. And part of that is how Jurgen Klopp is able to sort of play the crowd like an instrument yep. in a good way, not in a cynical way. Like he actually harnesses the power of the crowd and uses it to make a difference at key moments in the games. And obviously, for at least the start of the season, that's not going to be there either. So yeah. the same momentum isn't there because you can't recreate that Champions League missed out on the Premier League situation. And the the noise coming from Anfield just won't be there, and that will be missing as well. Those are my only two concerns about Liverpool. Yeah, I'm not concerned about the downturn in form after they'd walked it to the Premier League because that would have happened to anyone. And... And the response to that would be like, well, they dealt with that in the restart, right? That you had like no atmosphere at Anfield, yet they're still able to win. I think I would agree with you, though. There's a difference there of starting the season with no sound is different than sort of coming back into it and knowing we just got to win one or two games and we've got it locked up. I'm a Man United fan. I say that just to say that if you like haven't watched a video of you'll never walk alone and not felt something you're lying to yourself because that is <laughs> it really does put you i have to believe as a fan in the emotional state to be like we're going to do this and as a player to have everybody sing it to feel that emotion i'm sure it gives them an extra little bit of stamina an extra little bit of running potential and yeah losing that there is that little tiny competitive edge i think that's a good shout daryl it's it's kind of one less tool that Klopp has in the 70th yeah. minute as well right mm-hmm. he used to be able to turn to the cop and like do that arm lifting thing to like yeah, yeah raise it up raise us up and it would just give that maybe one to five percent extra in the last 20 minutes yeah because so that, that, is, that a, won't be there anymore that is an art that there is an art to knowing that if you can sort of do something goofy or get the crowd because you can feel that in if you're in a stadium if it's tense and everybody's kind of anxious and it feels like the game's slipping and then something happens and there's just that moment of levity there's that moment of like oh that was awesome and you just need a little bit of a relief and then you can start playing your game again. Klopp seems very good at not manipulating, but managing the crowd to make sure that they always have that level of energy. So there we go. That is my Liverpool preview. I like it, Daryl. I like it a lot. Well done, sir. <laughs> Should we talk Man City then? 
Yeah, let's do it. They're alphabetically next, so let's do it. Uh, they sure are. I would say Liverpool's biggest rival. And Daryl, this is going to surprise you. Another team that I found slightly difficult to preview because I still think that we could see them win the title. I think we could see them in the exact same position, but I am leaning towards uh, Man City this year being better than the Man City of last season. Yeah, they've got to be, right? They've got to be. I think so. I want to stress, same number of games. We were playing the league and the Cups in five fewer weeks, more international games, no winter break. It's going to be physically demanding. There's going to be lots of injuries, which is a prob- was a problem for them last season. But then it was also the players that weren't there, like, say, Vincent Company, that kind of all ball together to, I think, lead to some of those losses that probably they didn't have la- the season before. They didn't drop points the way they did last season. So I think depth is going to be more important than ever. I also think that we're sort of approaching a critical point for Pep Guardiola with Manchester City. One year remaining on his contract, does he sort of walk away? Is this his his farewell? Is he going to put it all on the line and try to win the league, try to win the Champions League, and then take a break? Or are we going to see him rebuild the team, which is not really a thing we've seen? Is it going to be him staying long enough to change change things up and find a new way to make a team work? And to some extent, I think we're seeing that now. So I do think we're going to see him yeah. stick with Man City, but I think the moves they're making suggest that they're trying to do both. They're trying to win right now and remain competitive while also rejuvenate and sort of bring new players through, bring in new faces. So let's talk about some of those for a moment, or yeah. should we talk about my specific prediction, which also factors into that, which would you like i mean you're driving you choose um i'll talk players let's go players sure if you want me to uh lee rosana has has departed and it's worth noting i think his absence is a major part of where some of their struggles are last season because he is just such a phenomenal winger and was so important to them the season before was almost unplayable so you lose him you've got to kind of find other options obviously man city are able to do that they have mares they have bernardo silva but to be able to replace him or at least move him on and bring in Fernand Torres, who you talked about previously, 20-year-old uh, winger, 24.5 million pounds from Valencia, but so, so fast. And I think we'll get up to speed pretty quickly with what, what with what Pep is asking or as quickly as you can. I think he will be a very good performer. There are questions about the defense last season, obviously. Vincent Company not there. John Stones has injuries. Amir Laporte has injuries. So in comes uh, Nathan Ake, uh, already brought in to bolster that defense, already has 146 Premier League appearances. And then they're very strong. Strongly linked with Koulibaly of Napoli. That feels a bit more like fire where there's smoke or smoke where there's fire, what have you. That one does feel like it ends up getting done. Right now, I think they're about 10 million apart, 10 million euros apart in the valuation, or maybe 15. But I think, if nothing else, Man City will end up just splashing that cash to really solidify the defense. So you get sort of veteran players coming in, but then there are also the younger ones because David Silva departs. What does that mean? Are they going to bring in another midfielder? No, it means I think Phil Foden. It's his time to shine. And that's my prediction number one, Daryl Grove. Phil Foden will at least double his minutes from last season, if not triple them. Yeah, he has to, right? With no silver. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. He silver. hasn't made the best start with his um, Icelandic adventure. But I don't. My guess is he'll get a nice talking to mm-hmm. from Guardiola, and hopefully it won't derail the start of his season. The year that Manchester United win the treble is, uh, starts with the summer of David Beckham getting the red card and England exiting the 1998 World Cup in fairly uh, unceremonious fashion. So I'm going to say it's the same thing. Phil Foden starts on a down note, <laughs> finishes on a high. Uh, only nine starts last season. He only played about 900 total minutes. I initially wanted to go so far as to say he will win the PFA Young Player of the Year award because I think he is going to be a very important performer for Man City. But then looking at who has won it previously and how many games they played, Trent Alexander-Arnold 
is going to be difficult to replace, uh, could win it again this season, and I don't know if Phil Foden is going to play that many games, but I think he will play enough that will at least double his minutes from last season and yeah. be a critical performer for Man City. I'm here for it. And honestly, if he doesn't double his minutes or something mm-hmm. like it, then something's gone wrong because this was the succession plan, right? David mm-hmm. Silva leaves, Phil Foden finally gets yep. to step up. Yeah. So we hope that's the case. The other kind of looming question we talked about center back a little bit uh or i talked about center back a little bit rather uh also left back remains an area of concern uh there's benjamin mendy there's alexander zinchenko there's Jao cancelo angelino has been loaned back to rb leipzig again with a 20 million pound option to buy still not entirely sure why nobody wanted to give him a chance at man city he looks pretty good for rb leipzig doing pressing and highly technical passing feels like he would fit there but not being given that opportunity so my prediction number two is that Nathan Akei plays left back at least a few times this season uh watching him for the Netherlands against Italy this international break that is exactly where he plays for them he plays as a left back is left-footed can be involved in the attack but obviously gives you that defensive stability looked fine and again is left-footed so I think can be a key contributor that way so I wouldn't be surprised if we see him played out on the left and obviously I I wouldn't be surprised if we see him played in the middle as well I mean, Fabian Delft's done it, right? Exactly. Like, Zinchenko was never a left back before Guardiola suggested it. So yeah. it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Nathan Akei out at left back. Yeah. I am a big fan of Nathan Akei, by the way. I think that's a really, really good signing by Manchester City. Can you, t- can you talk more about why? Because I went back and watched a lot of footage of him doing the things that I think will be important to his performances at Manchester City. And I was left undecided. Oh, really? Why? Well, I want to hear why you're undecided. I think what, because... What didn't you like? I think because he's not, with Bournemouth at least last season, there's not as much bringing the ball under control, finding passes, playing himself out of pressure, just being sort of calm on the ball. It was more interceptions, last-ditch clearances, heading the ball clear, getting rid of it. He obviously can play the ball. He's obviously good on it. It's just that that was such a big part of his game last year that you don't get those moments of him like, okay, this is the game when Bournemouth have 65% possession and you can see him helping move the ball quickly and keep it going and the things that Pep is going to want. So yeah. I'm wondering if you have thoughts there. I'm guessing that's more a Bournemouth problem than a Nathan Akei that makes sense. problem, mm-hmm. that things just got a little more frantic and less controlled than they used to be, um, the way Bournemouth played. What I really like about it, I remember always seeing him with his um, head on a swivel, like yeah. constantly... Um, I think I described him like an owl, like constantly looking left, right, left, right, looking for danger and just being really alert and aware all the time. And then he's sort of aware of danger before it happens and he steps out and wins it. And I think for Manchester City, the way they push their defenders way, way, way up the field, right? You'll get to see plenty of his left-footed passes, but I think you'll also see him um, stepping out and snuffing out counterattacks before they, before they begin and restarting a Manchester City attack. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So then maybe you've talked me into it. Maybe I'm a little bit more confident about that one. I also, like, similar to the Liverpool fatigue conundrum, the major kind of talking point with Man City seems to be, like, is Pep going to, like, tinker too much? Is he going to be able to figure this out? Will the players be motivated? And I do think we'll see maybe a few adjustments from him. But fundamentally, it's still Pep Guardiola. It's still Man City. It's still all of the talent they have. I think they're going to be just fine. Yeah, they're going to drop some points here and there. I think they're going to drop significantly fewer than they did last season and certainly not as many early because Pep is Pep and he'll get everybody ready to go. At least that's my feeling. I think there's also... Having not won back-to-back titles and having, again, flamed out in the Champions League, I, I have a feeling there's just a bit more hunger from that squad than there was last year. Yeah, I agree. And here's my big question, though. Mm-hmm. Who plays in the pivot role? Is it mm-hmm. going to be Rodri? Is it going to be Fernandinho now that there are more centre-backs? Especially if Koulibaly comes in, does Fernandinho 
go back into midfield? Like, is it Gundogan? Does he get a chance? I'm I'm really interested in um, yeah. where Pep's faith goes for that that um, holding midfield spot because a lot of people were very impressed by Rodri's. Uh, you know, passing and technique. And there was that video, remember that Spanish uh, mm-hmm. training video of Rodri and Thiago? Oh, yeah. Just hitting those great big passes on the slice and then juggling it. Like really incredible technical stuff. But there's always a question of Rodri not doing the, the Calvin the Phillips thing we talked about with Leeds yeah. or the Fernandinho thing where he stops the counterattack. Mm-hmm. So I'll be interested to see uh, who who gets the nod from Pep. Like if it was up to me, it yeah. would be Fernandinho. Yeah, I think I think honestly you've you've hit it pretty well there that that will be where he plays gives you a lot of information because if Fernandinho is starting at center back again it means that the options they do have either aren't up to speed yet or Pep just doesn't have the faith in them at least yet to be starting right away if Fernandinho is in that more uh, defensive midfield spot then it means I think Pep thinks okay my center backs are under control now let's deal with this issue so I think to some extent where he starts in those first couple games gives you some insight into where Pep thinks his vulnerabilities might be. All right. So you're saying the answer to that question will be when we see Pep starting at eleven. Yeah, I think it, I think long term. <laughs> if I had to give you an answer, I think long term it's probably Rodri. I think Rodri. Of course, yeah. Starts, just just the, the age wise, right? Yeah, and I think can probably handle the physicality. Is a bigger guy, uh, and I think has the technical ability similar to Fabinho as well. Has had the time to kind of bet in, get used to the system. Has a has a full ish preseason, if that's what we're calling this one this time around. <laughs> so I have faith that it ends up being Rodri as that holding midfielder long term, at least not even long term, but like in the second half of the season. Put it that way. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, maybe it ends up being Rodri then just rotated with the the aging legs of Fernandinho. Yeah, no, no, the no, other no. Fernandinho. Daniel becomes like a squad player. I think the other thing that you're kind of hitting on there is that there's so many positions, or at least a couple positions with Man City, where there is there is depth and there are very good players there, but you still have that moment of like, but which of them should start? Who is the better one there? Kevin De Bruyne extend- is the answer. Yeah, it's always Kevin De Bruyne. 11 of him would be fine. But like, is it Gabriel Jesus or Sergio Aguero? I wanted to predict like a return to form for Sergio Aguero and a golden boot campaign. Or I wanted to predict this being the breakout season for Gabriel Jesus. But I still don't quite know. And I think it ends up just being more of the same, that he tries yeah. them both and does them and like, uses them in different roles. And they're both quite good. But neither one of them is that like world-class next-level player, at least not right now. I mean, I think they both are next level players, but I think Pep just goes horses for courses, yeah. right? He decides that, oh, this is a Sergio Aguero game or this is a Gabriel Jesus game. They're better suited for this opposition or that opposition. Yeah, I guess that's yeah, how I see it going. That's much better said, yes. Because I, I think where I am is like you you sort of want there to be a Robert Lewandowski. Like, yep, we know that guy's in there every single game, but you're right. That's not really a thing that Pep necessarily is married to. So yeah, I take exactly. your point and I'm okay with that then. I can confirm that Pep is not married to Robert Lewandowski. <laughs> it would be an interesting so, marriage, though. Interesting marriage, so, indeed. I've so I've lost track. Are we um, do we do we have an ad break now? We or? do indeed. We do. Okay, mm-hmm. that means we have two teams left to go after the ad break. You are correct, and it means today's show is sponsored by Artifact. Artifact helps you make personal podcasts for anything important in your life. That's right. Anything important at all. If you want to talk. Uh, at length about your favorite peanut butter or dog barking in the background. You could do that, Daryl. Sure could. Are we going to leave that in? I guess we are. Yeah. The, I, dog, I think we the dog stays well. in the picture. The dog stays in the picture. What's going on over there? Is it something that needs to be recorded for posterity? Oh, it's possibly a, a mailman trying to murder us. There we go. See, it could well be. You know, have you ever heard the theory that dogs are kind of correct and that the mail, the mail carrier has never broken into the house? 
Yeah, from their perspective, right? It's yeah. 100% successful. Every single time they've kept them away. You're welcome, Daryl. You should be more appreciative. And you could document that age-old struggle with Artifact. I don't know how Austin and George would get along, <laughs> but I feel like George could make it work. Dog versus Mailman. Yes. <laughs> I want that talking head. I want it to be Austin barking, and then it cuts to the mail carrier like, I have no beef here. I'm just trying to deliver mail. I don't know what the issue is. I would, I would, I would enjoy that episode for sure. What are some other topics that you could record an artifact about, Tyler? I think I suggested peanut butter earlier, which maybe means that I'm hungry. I'm not sure what that's about, but you could uh, give one as a wedding present. You could give one as an anniversary present or even a birthday. Mm. Uh, I've talked previously about how I, I'm having one made for uh, unborn baby Rockwell uh, to document, not for her necessarily, but more so for us to learn parenting techniques to deal we, with unborn oh. baby Rockwell. Are we final on that name, or is there room for some work? I mean, there's room for some work. We're not sure. Uh, my <laughs> niece made it hot sauce Rockwell. It was hot sauce for a while. Uh, but I think my nephew was also hot sauce, so I feel like we're just stealing that. So yeah, we got to do some... Uh, all your nephews called hot sauce. Yeah, we definitely can. We definitely can. <laughs> You could also maybe do an artifact for um, someone's retirement, mm-hmm. if, they're, uh, if they're retiring True. from a job. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if a person has been diagnosed with cancer and wants a, an abbreviated way to be able to send people to a thing to listen to it and not have to tell the same story over and over and over again, that's one way. Yeah, you could go to heyartifact.com slash Daryl to hear me and my wife talk about um, that whole thing, that whole thing. I think we need to get a sort of like, uh, we got to get it all together. We got to get some synergy and it needs to be an artifact recorded while making a HelloFresh about athletic articles. So we need two people (laughs) making dinner together, talking about their favorite uh, articles from The Athletic that week, and then it's recorded for posterity. Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. If you want to make your artifact happen, you go to heyartifact.com. Link will be in the show notes. Use the code TSS. That's TSS for $40 off at heyartifact.com. $40 off your first artifact. That's $40 off your first artifact at heyartifact.com. Slash what, Daryl? Nothing. Just heyartifact.com <laughs> and then you use the code TSS. You can't trick me, Taylor I thought Rockwell. I could get you. I thought I could get you, but I could not. But you can get Artifact by going to heyartifact.com. Thank you very much to Artifact for sponsoring this episode. Daryl, should we talk Man United? Yes. Once again, there's a lot to like with Manchester United. I am feeling up on Manchester United no, because of the way they ended the season, because of the way that I, I just enjoy watching them when they come on my television. Um, before we talk about the attack... I want to talk about one of the things I like is that you can now predict Manchester United starting central defenders. Okay. Do you remember there was a long couple of years where you just were like, I don't know, I guess it'll be Luke Shaw at centre-back and maybe yep. Eric Bailly. Cone number one and cone number two. <laughs> or Ashley Young will be right centre-back. Oh, right now, whenever Manchester United play, you can guarantee it's Lindelof and Maguire. Mm-hmm. They are an established partnership. And I think any good team is built on an established centre-back partnership. All right. Do you like that partnership? Do you think it's a, a solid one? I mean, yes. Did you see any problems with it last season? I, I'm not sure that there's any need for Man United to upgrade their centre-backs in any desperate way. Uh, I mean, the, the I think kind of prevailing opinion near the end was that Lindelof leaves a bit to be desired when it comes to his positioning and awareness, uh, that Maguire tends to maybe have to make up for some of his positional deficiencies. I don't know if I buy into that so much. I think it's just people wanting Manchester United to buy an 80 million pound centre back. Exactly. They already did that. And it's yeah. Harry Maguire. And <laughs> despite his legal problems in Greece, yep. he is apparently back training with the squad and we'll have Lindelof and Maguire to start the season. Um, I want to shift focus to the attack. Because I'm predicting big things for Anthony Martial. I think that's a safe bet. I'm predicting that 2020-2021, which is not what I'll be calling this season, will be the best ever season for Anthony Martial at Manchester United. He is now part of a fully functioning attack and he's the first choice centre forward 
presumably for the entire season, right? So he's not playing second fiddle to Romelu Lukaku. He is not being moved out to the wing and he is not part of a misfiring attack now that Bruno Fernandes is there. So the whole thing works. And even with it only working for basically half the year last year, Anthony Martial got 17 Premier League goals, 23 in all competitions. I think he'll beat those numbers in the 2021 season. That's what I'm calling the season. I think that's, as I said, I think that's a safe bet. I forget which international teammate it was. It might have been Kylian Mbappe said his time under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has kind of brought back his confidence. He seems like a different player. He scored for France uh, during the international window. I think you're absolutely right. I think this will be a big season for him. He's got a bit of everything as well, right? He can run in behind at pace and terrify defenses that way. He's always got like a a really smooth finish to him where I think he just does a good body shape thing and confidently curls it around the keeper. Although, as Mbappe says, that may just be a sign of his newfound confidence, right? And then I think he's great at the sort of quick one-twos in and around the box. You see him combine with Rashford a lot, with Fernandes a lot, with all those forwards quite a lot. And it's Martial. Sometimes he's not even like on the score sheet as the goal scorer or the assist getter, but he's involved in the move. Oftentimes, he's the one actually finishing the move with a, a nice little chip over the keeper or a blast into the top corner. Or even so, you, Anthony Martial, better than 17 Premier League goals next year. Do you remember the goal, I think, against Spurs, where like it's a free kick and Bruno just lifts it over the wall and Martial runs on out of nowhere yes. and like, like insteps it in? Even yes. those sort of moments, I think, they speak to the kind of chemistry you're talking about there. All that with, I think, his heart rate never going above 60 beats per minute. I, the man is, is unemotional, right? is I guess what I'm saying. <laughs> all right so anything else that you want to add about anthony martial because that's all i have to say about him it's just i'm really optimistic about anthony martial i think he'll he's been there so long and he'll finally have the year that um i think everybody expected when he first joined yeah no i think i think you're dead on with everything you've said all right now i want to talk danny van der beek all right so danny van der beek is the big signing right the big signing when he signed we talked at length about how it's hard to see what that midfield looks like because even though he played as a sort of number six in his early days at Ajax, he is not a defensive midfielder. So you can't reconstitute that Manchester United midfield that had the nice balance of, say, Matic defensive midfield, Pogba connector, Bruno Fernandes creator. Donny van der Beek can't just replace Matic and suddenly everything's fine. You lose a massive defensive side of the game if you have Donny van der Beek as your defensive midfielder. I think, this is my prediction... Danny van der Beek is going to end up playing wide for Manchester United. Oh, that's like as a wide attacker? Yes. Not permanently, but definitely in a way where he's like in form and is providing a lot to the attacks. He's such an intelligent um, interpreter of space and a guy who makes things happen that he'll be too hard to leave out of the team, but there'll be a game where you need a defensive presence. And I think at the same time, because Man United didn't sign Jadon Sancho, they're still a little thin on that right side, right? It's Mason yeah. Greenwood and it's Danny James. And if there's any injury anywhere, you like, honestly, I think Danny James is just not in the same class as the other Manchester United forwards. I can see it being a wise move to say, hey, Danny van der Beek, go attack the right wing. Go play on the right wing for this yeah. game. And then I think it works out. And then I think it might become a semi-regular thing. That that actually makes a, a decent amount of sense because you also have Mason Greenwood as the understudy for Anthony Martial. So if Anthony Martial is getting time off, then uh, Mason Greenwood would be the logical choice to start as your striker. And then it is Danny yeah. James who has some deficiencies that need to be worked on. So yeah, I think that is 
a definite possibility. I think it's also the case, I believe I'm correct, that Paul Pogba has tested positive for coronavirus. Ooh. So will not be playing the opening game. Uh, though that get, I think Man United don't play this weekend, they play next. But you may see Danny, uh, Donny van de Beek there in that number eight spot to start. But I think you're right, Daryl. I think you've hit upon something that makes a lot of sense. And We talked when this signing happened about how you know, not everybody has to start every game. And maybe it's kind of okay if Danny van der Beek is mm-hmm. an understudy to Pogba and or Bruno Fernandes, right? Because there'll probably be regular opportunities to rest or replace both of them. But I still think at some point he'll hit a good run of form and will be sort of undroppable. But you also can't have an all-attacking midfield to play against, say, like Manchester City or something. And so that's when you'll see Danny van der Beek on the wing. Yeah, and especially, like, like Donny van de Beek is a very good all-around player, but I think, to your point, is a much better all-around attacker than defender. And so yeah. I think, to some extent, it makes more sense to, if you are going to try him there, to put him out wide and give him those opportunities because it feels like that's one where he has more familiarity and his skill set would allow him to potentially thrive there versus, hey, you're a number six now, learn how to do that. That's a bit yeah. harder. That's a bit harder. Yeah, I mean, Man United tried that with Alan Smith all those years ago, right? <laughs> oh, smudge. Okay, now some less exciting um, predictions for Manchester United. I think there was a certain element of surprise with Manchester United. First from January onwards with Bruno Fernandes coming in. Mm -hmm. And then after Project Restart with Mason Greenwood suddenly becoming like the grown-up version of Mason Greenwood. Yeah. Right? I think uh, Mason Greenwood's going to have a slightly frustrating year because I think he won't have the element of surprise. I think teams will be a bit more prepared for him he'll still be super dangerous right because he can he can step over and go both ways and get shots away but i don't think he'll get like 10 goals in 12 starts which is what he managed last season yeah um, that that's a little inflated sounds inflated because he also came off the bench 19 times but that's a lot of like five 10 minute sub appearances earlier in the season i think maybe he'll just get around 10 goals again but that's having played the entire season because I think he'll maybe get shut down more often than he did after Project Restart. Yeah, and after Project Restart, you are playing teams that maybe don't have the depth or are dealing with their own injury issues, and so he can come in and maybe go against their second or third-choice defense, and he can find a way through that way. Yeah, you might not get that to start the season at the very least. Here's my other one. Bruno Fernandes will miss a penalty. How dare you? How dare for you? Those, for those who don't remember, Bruno Fernandes is Manchester United's penalty taker, it seems, and... He is one of those guys that does the slow run up mm-hmm. and then the big jump in the air and then he waits for the keeper to make a move while he's jumping in the air and then when he lands, he puts mm-hmm. it the other way. That's the basic technique, right? Yep. And it's going to look really silly when a Premier League goalkeeper has figured out what Bruno Fernandes is doing and makes him go the other way because here's, I've got a description. I didn't, I didn't uh, word that very well, but I've got um, an explanation from Miguel Suarez who was a goalkeeper for Lores, who played against Sporting Lisbon in October 2018 and saved a Bruno Fernandes penalty kick. Um, Here's what he says. Bruno looks at the keeper when he takes a penalty, so I did the same to him. I Hmm. feigned to dive to the left, and then I went to the right. So this Fernandes thing, it's solvable from a goalkeeper perspective, is what I'm saying. I think a goalkeeper's going to solve it. And essentially, it'll be big news in a way that maybe it doesn't deserve to be, just because of the ostentatious method that Bruno Fernandes takes his penalties. Yeah, I I agree with you there. I think it's probably most likely if they find themselves in a shootout, the unlikely event that they're in a shootout, because at that point, 
the goalkeeper has that research. And I think to, there are moments in which maybe the goalkeeper does know what Bruno Fernandes is going to do. But when you're in that pressurized situation, when the penalty is about to be taken, I think sometimes that preparation can go out the window and you can just be overtaken by the moment. In a shootout, it tends to be, I feel like, much more methodical. There's much more, okay, he's going to go this way, I will dive that way. And I could see that vulnerability, that opportunity getting exploited in that type of moment. So yeah, at some point, at some point he's going to get shown up and it's going to look bad, but his record will still be pretty good uh, overall. Hmm. Um, what else on Manchester United? Um, Victor Lindelof stopped a robbery. I forgot that one. We should mention that. There we that. go. Yeah. And they question his positioning. That's the defensive, um, uh, like, nous you need. I still don't know if go. it's whatever pronunciation that would be. Dean Henderson um, is back mm. from his loan spell at Sheffield United. I think he'll get a chance to challenge David De Gea. I think maybe, I think De Gea starts the season, but I think the first big high profile mistake, we may get to see Dean Henderson start a Premier League game for Manchester United. Um, the next one up. My only real worry about Manchester United is, actually, I've got two. One is if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer just goes crazy and decides he's always going to start Van der Beek, Pogba, and Bruno Fernandes, and, and defending will take care of itself. We call that pulling a Lampard, by the way. Right, yeah. Well, it works for Lampard, though, right? <laughs> well, um, he has he is N'Golo Kante. That makes it easier. Yeah, that's true, that's true. The other is Luke Shaw, who I believe is injured yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. Probably mm-hmm. won't be fit to start the season. And... The backup is Brandon Williams, who is seems like kind of okay to me, but he's not the not yet the top level fullback that you would expect to be playing for Manchester United. Also, Maybe might we still see... legally be a child. He might be <laughs> uh, not legally a child anymore, but is still very young. What's interesting to me is everybody at Manchester United seems to speak really highly of Brandon Williams, yeah. even if um, not all pundits were impressed. So it's possible that maybe um, maybe we see uh, Brandon Williams uh, like outperform the way he performed last season. I think he is the type of player who you won't hear negatives about as much until it's like almost undeniable because so many of those pundits with connections to Manchester United are always going to prioritize youngsters coming through the academy. And so we'll protect them a little bit more, I think, and be less inclined to kind of stick the knife in, dig into them a little bit. So yeah, I think maybe he gets a little bit more time, but I'm also not convinced by him. So I guess we'll see. We'll see. I'll ask you again at the end of the season to see if um, sure. your opinion has changed on uh, on Brandon Williams. I bet my I, opinion on Luke Shaw will not have changed. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so those are all my Man United thoughts. And I know, obviously, for a full disclosure, we always say Taylor's a Man United fans are so... I wouldn't even say you're, you're biased because I think you've become so good at being neutral for the purposes of the show. Maybe not when you're actually watching a game and yelling at a screen. But <laughs> do, you have any, do you have any Manchester United thoughts that you want to share before we move on to Newcastle United? Just the typical anxiety. That I always have, where I never think it's going to go well. You know that, Daryl. That's what all fans have. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Um, I mean, I I think this season would have been, like, this summer probably would have been the one that Pogba would have left. But things being as they are, that did not happen, obviously. So how he blends in and what that midfield looks like, that will be the big issue for me in those first few weeks, is who is that midfield three, if that is indeed what they go with, uh, and how well does it work, that I want to keep an eye on. All right. Um, So tell me about Newcastle United, Mr. Rockwell. I'm excited to talk about Newcastle United, I must say. Uh, I am more optimistic than most about Newcastle, and I'm not entirely sure why. The Saudi takeover uh, is still on hold. I wouldn't say it's collapsed, because I still think there's a chance that move gets done. I think you just got to deal with some piracy issues, and maybe they've got to rejigger it a little bit so they don't get as much negative attention right away. But for now, still Mike Ashley, still Steve Bruce, still Steve Bruce trying to do as much as he can with very little has more now than he did a couple weeks ago. A lot of that has to do with their preseason. Are you aware of what's been happening with them, Daryl? 
No, what they got? Did they sign Callum Wilson? Well, did I see that was happening. I want to talk about what they actually did in their preseason first. Uh, they have two wins to start off. Then they go play Middlesbrough and lose five one, followed by a loss to Stoke City. And at that point, Steve Bruce apparently met with the director or the board of directors and said, "Like, yeah, this is not going to work. We have got to invest, or we are going to go down in fairly." Uh, Negative ways. Uh, so they have gone about dealing with some of it, at least. Callum Wilson, as you said, brought in uh, from relegated Bournemouth for £20 million. And I think that is a very interesting move because, in my opinion, it, it shows that they now realize they got Joe Linton wrong. Whoever was scouting him, whoever thought it would be a good idea, I think fundamentally did not understand Joe Linton or Hoffenheim and sort of put him in a position where he was never going to succeed. Callum Wilson makes a lot more sense. And I think with that in mind, prediction number one for me is that Callum Wilson will score 11 or more goals this season. That is the number scored by Salomon Rondon uh, in his final year with the team. Uh, since then, last year, for example, the leading goal scorer was John Joe Shelby with six goals. Uh, not a lot of goal scoring happening for Newcastle last year. Kind of a consistent issue with them, and I think Callum Wilson fits a lot more with what they want to do and is a much more logical number nine target striker played into him. He can bring it down. He can flick it on. He's going to battle. He's going to hold it up and create or allow other players to get forward to then create chances. So I think he's going to have a a strong season for Newcastle, and I think will be a central yeah. figure for them in a way he's that also- Joe wasn't. He's also a really hard-working, hard-running kind of guy, right? Yeah. When I when I look at um, Callum Wilson, I always think of him essentially hassling midfielders and defenders. He'll come back and like try and poke the ball away from yep. you and stuff like that. He's a, a pest, basically. Yeah, and I think they, they've made other smart signings to go with him uh, to kind of echo that hard work that maybe isn't going to be as heralded, but will get the job done. They're starting the season, for example. Martin Dubrovka, their goalkeeper, will be out uh, with a cracked bone, missing for six weeks. They brought in Martin Gillespie from Motherwell on a free... I think, but like not necessarily a landmark transfer by any stretch of the imagination, but it's they the weren't sort dancing of, in the streets of Newcastle. They were not. But what they were doing was, I guess, rationally applauding because it's Newcastle making logical moves. They bring in Jamal Lewis uh, from Norwich for 13.5 million left back, left winger because they That's need great. depth there. They meet exactly Ryan Fraser again from Bournemouth on a free. His contract had expired. Lots of interest in him. I think they will continue to yeah. make signings, but I think they are sort of retooling and re-equipping in the areas, re-equipping in the areas they absolutely need to, re-equipping is what Tony Stark does, to <laughs> really put themselves in a position to score goals and do so in a more consistent way than they did last year. So Ryan Fraser normally mm-hmm. plays down the right wing, right? And I remember yep. him being really effective for Bournemouth. I want to say until he made it clear he wasn't signing a new contract and then right. he seemed to fall off a little bit. Does this mean that Matt Rich's reign of terror on Newcastle's right wing is over though? I think I think what it means is that you're going to get more rotation because you're going to get Matt Ritchie who sometimes played left back and left wing back and sometimes was a right winger. I think he'll still be kind of put in wherever is needed, but I think you might get him rotating in and out. I think the same will go uh, with Alan San Maximin, who can play as a more central striker in like a 4-4-2. Uh, but oh, I, love, also I love when he goes wide. on a dribble. Yeah, Uh, and that is also where I think Newcastle will be stronger is just because they have more people who can play more varieties of positions. It gives them that depth, but it also means you don't have one or two players who are responsible for creating everything. And I think the major beneficiary of that, maybe this is uh, an expectation hope more than a realistic thing. Prediction number two for me is that Miguel Almiron will have his strongest Premier League season statistically, which isn't necessarily saying much since first season, I think zero goals, zero assists. Last season, four goals and two assists. But I think because Callum Wilson is there and can do the hold-up job and fight for the ball just 
better than uh, other options who were there last season. I think it takes a little bit of the pressure off Miguel Amaron, but then St. Maximin is going to get a lot of attention. He can play out wider up top, as I said, but that means if you're focusing on him and Callum Wilson, maybe Matt Ritchie, maybe Ryan Fraser, I just think uh, Miguel Amaron is going to have more opportunities to create and to provide and to score goals himself, and I think we'll have a much better season, at least statistically. Yeah, that sounds right to me. I think, yeah. I think he'll, he's slowly so, come good, I feel like, in England. It just wasn't as, it wasn't a big dramatic impact we all, right. after watching him in MLS, thought it would be. And I think, honestly, I think, and that's where, from, an, from an MLS perspective, we sort of need him to come good to prove that see, when you thing. spend £27 million on an MLS attacking midfielder, that they actually um, will provide something. Yeah, because I, I think it's not that we necessarily thought he was like going to hit the ground running and be this like massive impact but maybe hoped that he would and i think maybe some of that expectation is diminished but i think he still remains a very good good player and certainly a creative playmaker at that so i think we're going to see him have a very good season i don't know again i do not know why i am optimistic for newcastle other than maybe in a season that will be probably defined by chaos and turmoil and upheaval that's pretty much like newcastle's consistent state of affairs uh what's uh if you know what uh snafu means you can look that up acronym snafu describes newcastle and also this season so i think maybe that's why i'm feeling a little bit confident for them <laughs> as bane said to batman so some teams just inherit the <laughs> inhabit the chaos <laughs> yeah. newcastle were born in it yeah um <laughs> One thing I want to go back to, though, before I close it out here, I want to talk about Joe Linton for a moment. Uh, the folks at StatsBomb did a great preview for Newcastle. They talked a lot about who Joe Linton was and what he played for Hoffenheim. And it was basically, he's a forward who thrives in an aggressive, attacking, pressing, fast-moving system in which he's getting the ball. I think most of his goals were in, inside 12 yards from goal because... It's predicated on winning the ball high up the field, forcing turnovers, creating opportunities in disadvantaged situations for the defense, and then he scores them. It is not be a target striker, sort of running behind, look for balls over the top. That's not what he works well in, and I don't think that's going to change for Newcastle. So my other like sneaky theory, it goes with the Brendan Rodgers thing. I think he would be a really good signing for a team like Liverpool, who we already talked about, who can bring in players who maybe are seen as like, wait, you're bringing in this player from Newcastle? Like, okay, I'm not sure how that's going to work. But coming in with very low expectations into a high-pressing team, I think he would work very, very well and is also not going to agitate to be an automatic starter because any situation is better than last season at, at Newcastle. So he's one who I think in a different team, in a different situation, really does thrive and becomes less of a punchline. And I Dude. kind of hope that ends up happening for him. But more realistically is that he's going to stay at Newcastle because that's a lot of money put in and Mike Ashley doesn't like losing money. Did he replace Firmino at Hoffenheim? You know what? He may well have. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, they, I had thought about that. They may have like, looked at a same profile type of player and decided at Hoffenheim, yeah. this is what works for us. There we go. So there you go, Newcastle or, and Liverpool. You're welcome if that ends up happening. Yeah. We should ask Lutz Fannin still if that is if that is what happened. I'll, I'll message right. him right now. So I mentioned it at the top of the show. DeAndre yeah. Yedlin. Mm -hmm. Is he going to start? Is he going to play? I don't think so. Uh, no, I think, I think other he, right backs I, are available, right? If you're Newcastle. Other right backs are available. Um, and I think they're going to continue to strengthen and bring in more people. It seems as though he is not necessarily surplus to requirements, but not a player that Steve Bruce is looking at as a consistent player that he can build a starting 11 around. I do think there's some truth to the idea that Newcastle not having the resources, not when to spend meant that managers were not forced into starting DeAndre Edlin. Cause that would be, 
like a disservice to him. He's a very good footballer, but I think more so that he was probably never a person that say Rafa Benitez thought this guy is the perfect player to execute my system. I think he was the most perfect player at that time. And I think Newcastle, maybe nowadays under Mark, uh, not Mark, Steve Bruce. I think maybe he's just not going to be as, as important of a figure this yeah. time around. I mean, my, my take on Yellen is that he is not, um, not a perfect footballer technically, but he's yeah. a really, really, really good pro. And that's why Rafa Benitez could coach him to play yeah, in that tight back four. Like he's a yeah, he's a really good professional with a great attitude and super competitive. And that's why a lot of coaches stuck with him. But if you gave them money and said, "How do you want to upgrade your team?" Even as much as they like Yedlin, they would probably look at um, bringing someone else in. Yeah, right? I mean, so I, know, I mean, his competition I know for this season will be Mankilo. I think yep. often plays right back, and I, I believe like there's him. a Swedish guy named Kraft or Kraft. Yep. Kraft. Who is a, yep. Yeah. So that he's got a lot of competition if he wants to start at right back for Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, I think a mark in his favor would be that I, I would expect Newcastle to continue to defend deep, sometimes with a back three, which is actually a back five, sometimes in two banks of four. But I think they will defend deep and look to counter, and that is where you could see him thrive as that sort of outlet who can get forward very quickly, obviously. Um, and maybe that's where we'll see him make late-game impact as yeah. when you're going against the tired team if you're chasing but, the game or if it's nil-nil and you want something out of it. But even like the idea of him maybe playing farther forward, which he did mm-hmm. a couple of times, like playing right wing, yeah. Ryan Fraser now takes that pacey right wing spot, yeah. right? So yeah. I'm not feeling optimistic for DeAndre Edlin's minutes in the Premier League. Nor am I. Uh, yeah, I think a loan or a permanent move would not be the worst thing for sure. Yeah, that feels about right to me. All right, are we done previewing for the day? I think we are. All right, Premier League, 14 of you have been previewed. There are six to go. We'll have the final six previews for you later this week. Anything to add, Taylor, before we wrap this up? No, other than that, uh, this is around the time period in which our mail carrier arrives and both the dogs are about five feet away from the microphone. So we don't want that. So we should end sooner rather than later. Then I will say, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening. And we'll be back with more Total Soccer Show before you know it. Bye.